Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine, where we are here to keep you guys up on the literature, and to do that, we spoon-feed it to you. Now, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only getting a portion of the past week's articles. Don't worry, all good articles, but if you would like to get access, full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. And remember that we never want money to be a barrier to better patient care. So if you're having any trouble affording a subscription, please get in touch. We'll help you out. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by our authors, Jason Lesnick, Caitlin Nicholson, Julie Brown, Christopher Thome, and Clay Smith. Okay, we skip straight to the fourth article. Titled, Nasal Suctioning Therapy Among Infants with Bronchiolitis Discharged Home from the Emergency Department, a Randomized Clinical Trial Under the JAMRA Network Open. They don't actually outline it in the title, but this was called the SNOT Trial. It's a bad acronym. Um, It stands for Suctioning of Nose Therapy and Bronchiolitis Trial, but I'll still take it because it's cute. Nasal suctioning is to help relieve congestion. It's often performed in bronchiolitis. Its benefits, however, are not altogether that clear. Data is a little bit limited, but it just it's one of those things that feels like it should help. It also helps parents feel like they're taking charge of their child's care. Even less is known about how to go about nasal suctioning. Should you use a bulb? I can't imagine that it provides a terribly large amount of suctioning power. Or perhaps you should use some kind of mechanical device that they now have commercially available. Well, these authors wanted to do the comparison. They called the bulb a mild suctioning group, so you know that they didn't have a lot of faith in the power of the bulb either. Anyhow, this was an RCT enrolling infants who were otherwise pretty healthy and discharged from four tertiary Canadian emergency departments with bronchiolitis. Enrollment ages were 4 weeks to 11 months. Those randomized to the mechanical suction group were given a Zoli machine. It's a handheld little thing that looks, it's kind of shaped like an electric toothbrush, Costs about $40 on Amazon. The rest were given a standard bulb syringe that you can get for about $2 on Amazon. There were slightly more unscheduled visits within 72 hours in the bulb syringe group. 22 versus 25%, but this was not significant. Other outcomes, including patient sleep, parental sleep, and satisfaction with care were not different between the groups either. Though, 37% of the bulb group went ahead and got another suctioning device compared to just 26% in the mechanical group. This was significantly different, but it's probably one of the least important outcomes. It does go to show, though, that parents think that this strategy should be effective because they're putting in the work to try multiple devices because they must believe in the theory of it, the technique, they just don't think that they have the right machine. More patients were satisfied with the mechanical device than when they were given the bulb, but at this point, I think we're just treating parental feelings of usefulness. I kind of take away from this that if potentially better suctioning isn't doing anything, I question how useful suctioning is at all. That's just my bias, though. I don't have children or anything. In a spoonful, splurging on a more expensive suction device for infants with bronchiolitis does not seem to improve important outcomes, but might help make parents feel a little bit more useful. Who knows? And then the fifth and final article, titled Effectiveness of Nail Bed Repair in Children with or Without Replacing the Fingernail, the NINJA Multicenter Randomized Clinical Trial out of the British Journal of Surgery. 
Aha, I love this. This is another article that supports my biases against doing things that I think we probably do for no reason. Another fun name for a trial as well, Ninja. I won't even explain where the letters come from. I, I sometimes wonder if people actually think of these themselves or nowadays we just get ChatGPT to do it. I actually asked ChatGPT to come up with an acronym for the title of this article and it came up with the suggestion of enchanting, which is pretty well done. It's a little bit contrived still, so I'm not going to explain how the, where the letters come from, but I can see where they come from. Okay, back to the trial. Now, the typical practice for nail bed injuries is to remove the nail, repair the nail bed, and then replace the nail or use something fabricated as a fake nail. This is often going to be foil from the suture packaging material. The theory is that by putting something back in there, it keeps the nail plate open so that the nail grows back nicely. I've always thought that this is pretty ridiculous. Unless presented with compelling evidence to the contrary, I'd have assumed that evolution is probably going to have us covered on this one. People lose nails. We've probably lost nails since the beginning of time. That just happens. Introducing quickly fashioned fake nails or trying to replace the nail itself sounds like a better recipe for disaster than anything else to me. It doesn't work for primary teeth when you're trying to grow in something over top of it. Why would it work for your nail? Now, I'm not a plastic surgeon, though, and I've never actually looked into the evidence on the replacement of nails. But according to the introduction of this article, it's not very evidence-based. So here's an RCT, in which case, if this is the best evidence, this could easily be practice-changing. This study recruited 451 children less than 16 years old. It's probably a children's study because this happens a lot more often in kids, but I would think that this could be generalized to adults. Anyways, the average age was quite young, though, at six years old. These children had nail bed injuries in the previous 48 hours, and they were believed to require surgical repair. The patients were randomized to debridement and suturing of the nail bed with replacement of the nail or a substitute nail, which was typically made out of foil. The other group got debridement and suturing without replacement of any kind of the nail and just had a non-adhesive bandage placed. At seven days, there was no significant difference in infection rates, though slightly more when the nail was replaced, though, like I said, not significant. As well, cosmetic outcomes were the same at seven to ten days. There was no difference in the amount of pain during dressing changes, then no difference in the amount of late infections or even satisfaction. On top of there being no clinical benefit, replacing the nail was associated with slightly higher costs per patient, about $100. This was generally due to longer OR times. But I wish that this trial hadn't been done in the operating room, since this is the kind of thing that we typically do at the bedside. This is honestly, overall, this is great. And without other compelling data to the contrary, I think that this should be practice changing. I'm young enough to think that tradition is not a good enough reason to keep doing something. I'd bet that it'll take a lot longer of a time for hand consultants to get on board with this kind of thing, certainly not just one trial. ED physicians tend to be a little bit faster and less attached to the ways of doing things and happier to change their outlook on certain conditions. I expect hand surgeons will be slower. In this book, replacing the nail after a nail bed laceration might be a waste of time, would have liked to see longer-term outcomes. Really, I'd love to see a second trial on this, and this one done in the emergency department. Okay, that's the last article. Let's do our wrap-up. What did we learn from this week? From the fourth article, the snot RCT showed bulb suction to be clinically equivalent to mechanical suction with the Zoli device. But parents seem to kind of prefer trying the mechanical way. 
because they less often bought new devices. And then from the fifth article, perhaps we don't need to replace nails after nail bed repairs in children. This RCT certainly seems to make that argument anyways. Now, again, if you are hearing this right now, then you are not a part of the member's feed, and so you missed three articles from this past week. One talked about how risky it is to be a healthcare worker when it comes to suicide risk. And then another article talked about too much or too little fluids. There's an updated review on how much liquid to give in sepsis. And then from the last article that we covered that you didn't hear, unfortunately, well, we talked about how to deliver a baby yourself and what could go wrong. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. Our goal here is for you to read less, learn more, and save lives, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.